excited about your investment in this morning. You, you guys realize when you show up ready to praise God with everything that you have, God has a tendency to show out. Amen? I'm telling you. And I believe that you guys have come in this place just sowing good seed of anticipation, good seed of expectation, because tonight we're going to be hosting our very first ever night of healing. And um, I'm telling you right now, I, I, we can't make anything happen, amen? amen? But we sure can prepare a place for God to come and for God to do what only God can do, amen? Amen. And so we want to invite you back tonight, 6 o'clock, here at the church. Um, um, we're just kind of putting a, a 6 to 8 kind of time limit on it, sort of. I mean, I don't know how long it might go, but our child care jets after 8. So if you're coming and you do need some child care for the evening, please go online today, www.mymomentumchurch.tv, and go and sign up for tonight's event. And the reason why is because we're paying for child care to come in because we want our workers to be able to be in this service as well. Amen? Aren't you glad that at times we can do that and get everybody in here to get a touch from God? Yeah. And so, but we need to know if your kids are coming, and so please go do that for us, all right? Amen. I want you to open up your Bibles this morning to Psalm. I know you're going to say, really? That scripture again? Every week this has been our jumping off point. Psalm 127. And do you feel like you almost have it memorized now? Good. That's the goal, amen? Let's stand to our feet as we look at this passage of scripture one final time during this series. It starts off and it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Hallelujah. I love sleep. Sometimes my children making noise just makes me want to go to sleep. <laughs> Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. God knows I have tried. We got five. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies. I want to slow down here. When he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Amen? Let's pray. Father, over the next few minutes, would you just come and empower us, Lord? As we look at this passage one last time, as you teach from us, one last time, as you just stir our hearts to be the family of God in this house and in our own individual homes that you desire us to be, in Jesus' name, everybody give a big shout of praise. Amen. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and have your seat. So as we've looked at this the last few weeks, we saw that the metaphor, just to catch some new folk up, the metaphor of kids, they're like arrows that are in the hands of an archer. And so the parent is the archer, the children are like those arrows, and then there's a goal. Because when you have an arrow, there's always a goal, there's always a target. A friend of mine sent me a beautiful picture of an incredible buck. It was awesome. It will only pale in comparison to the buck that I killed this year. But other than that... It was awesome. Just kidding, Anthony. It was so good. And so when it comes down to it, there's always a target when you have that arrow, right? And I taught you the bullseye for us is that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. If we can seek first his kingdom, guess what? Everything else, you ready for a great word? Is added. Shout added. Yes. Shout it's coming to me. Isn't that good? Everything else is added to you. 
And that's the goal. God wants to bless his folk. God wants to bring his provision. God wants to touch you. God wants to be able to be that one that, that is a, a, that close help to you that you don't reject, but that you embrace in your time of need. And so we seek first his kingdom. And here's the thing. If that's the bullseye, his kingdom, then everything outside of that isn't. All right? I'm not saying that everything outside of that is wrong. There's things about my family. I told you, going to a sporting event with your child is part of hitting that bullseye. It really is. But if you can't be in the house of God for six months, eight months, nine months at a time, then that bullseye for you isn't the kingdom. It's the ball field. Come on, somebody. Now, listen, there's folk in here that you figure out every way you can to be in the house of God, and your children are sports, and I honor you for that. Amen? I applaud you. Amen? All right, and there's others I'll see next year. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I just, I'm just being honest, you know. But there are those that are here right now. You know your heart. You know your pastor. I'm not trying to come against you. You do everything you can to order that, and I'm proud of you, and you're here today. Amen? And so that bullseye, that seeking first is important. Now, another thing that we see in this that we haven't got to yet, we see the archer, we see the arrow, we see the bullseye. There is a watchman. Say watchman. watchman. And that's where we're going to head in today, okay? The watchman. You need a watchman. You have a need. Every one of us has a need for there to be a watchman for our homes. And the reason why is in Psalm 127 verse 5, it says that there's an enemy at the gate. Do you realize there's enemies at the gate of our houses? Wants to destroy what God is trying to build. God is doing a work, but don't you know the enemy wants to destroy that work? And he does a pretty good job of it. I've seen him try in my home, As a pastor for over 26 years, I've seen him try in home after home after home. None of us, none of us are exempt from it, y'all. Not one of us. That enemy of our heart hates us with everything that he can, and he wants to destroy us. And so with that, we have to realize that confrontation is a part of good parenting. Confrontation, dealing with the enemy at the gate, if you will, spiritual warfare is part of our responsibility as God's people leading God's children. Amen? And so we need to confront those things that are trying to get past our gates. We need to confront those things that are trying to put a hurt on our household. And the reason why is because the enemy of our heart would love to have a stronghold in your household. And so today we're going to be looking a little bit at what that looks like. We're going to look at some of the things that the enemy's trying to do to our, our children and our, our young people. We're going to look at some heavy stuff. Shout heavy. heavy. Yeah, yeah. Church can't always be light. Amen. 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 Sometimes it's got to be heavy. But I love that idea of heaviness. That's that glory sometimes just comes. That God's just his convicting power just rests upon us. Here's what's beautiful about it. When his heaviness comes and his conviction comes, guess what's on the backside of that? If we'll walk in repentance, his refreshing. Amen? And so we're going we're gonna to get heavy, and we're going to get refreshed. You know why? Because I'm looking at a room full of obedient folk, a room full of people that want to put the bullseye, the, the arrow right in the middle of that bullseye. I'm also looking at a room full of people that in our lives, at times, we've missed the mark, your pastor included. Let me say it this way, your parents included, you know, and you feel that weight of your mom and daddy how they missed that mark. Man, I, I just want us to take responsibility today as a bunch of Christians and say, you know what? Not the next generation in the name of Jesus. Not the next generation. Amen. 
We're going to look what it looks like to be watchmen. And we're going to see the enemy at the gate destroyed in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a fight, if you will, for the souls of our children. We're in the fight for the soul, really, I believe, of the church, especially the American church. We're in a fight for it. We fight a lot. I don't know about y'all. We fight a lot with our family. Right? How many had a good argument this morning? Let's just be real open and honest. Yeah, we were good today. Last night we had an argument, but we were good this morning, you know. Had to preach. Had to be good this morning, you know. Yeah, yeah, we fight a lot with our family. Now, I want, I want us to learn what it looks like to fight for our family. Amen? Amen? To take that responsibility and embrace it fully. To engage the enemy is the way we should engage the enemy and fight for our family. That, that truth, really, when I say fighting for our family, that truth could echo the same in the walls of this house. Because we don't have to bicker and we don't have to have our base natures keep us from what God is wanting to do with us together here at Momentum Church either. Amen? How many know y'all go to church with a bunch of imperfect people? And your brokenness rubs up against somebody else's brokenness. And now all you got to focus on is brokenness. I'd like to get everybody focused on the healer of the brokenness. Amen? Because it's possible if we can begin to point our eyes toward the watchman. Again, shout the watchman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a responsibility to be watchmen. You're going to see before we finish, you're not alone on the watch. Thank God. Because if I was alone on this watch, I would have messed up with my family a long time ago. The enemy truly is at the gate, people. He truly is there. I, I love what Psalm 127.5 says in the message. This is kind of a neat translation, and it kind of brings a promise. It kind of encourages me when I think about the enemy at the gate. It says, your enemies don't stand a chance against you. Is that good? Your enemies don't stand a chance. You'll sweep them right off the doorstep. They're there at the gate. They're right there at the doorstep. But man, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. Amen? Yeah, the enemy of your heart, man, he can't win. He can't win when you set your eyes on the target. When you take your children, you direct them toward the goal, toward seeking the kingdom of God. What I, what I love about this, when you look at this scripture, is teaching us that our children are like arrows. Now we're going from sweet little target practice to dealing with an enemy. Amen? So when you think about your children, your children don't have field tips. Your children, and you know this, they hurt sometimes. You, you know. But your children in the hands of the archer are an offensive weapon against the strategies of the enemy. Our heritage is going to deal with the sin of our past. Our children literally can be propelled forward and they'll be able to take victories that you never thought possible for yourself. When I think of this, my mind thinks your children are a response to the enemy at the gate. Think of that. My kid, Grant Allen Wiseman, Grant Ross Allen Wiseman, that's the full name right there. Your life is a response to the enemy at the gate. My, my papa was a mess, and his family were a mess, and my dad decided to face the enemy at the gate and say, not as, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. As for me, we're going to focus on the, the target, seeking first the kingdom. And all these years later, my dad propelled me forward, and I am a response to the enemy that came against my granddad all those years. I'm a response to that. Take that, devil. Amen. And your children are going to be the same thing. The sins of the father, yes, they pass on. But the victories of a father can pass on as well. 
The, 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 the idea of confidence in Jesus can pass on as well. And my dad, man, he sowed into me, and it broke the curse off our family. My life declares to the enemy of my forefathers that they have been defeated. Amen? Amen? That's the lives that we should be pressing into. That's the kind of passion for Jesus that we should have. One that's not passive, but one that is marked by a spirit of warfare. Amen. My dad was just ridiculously vigilant when it came to dealing with the opposite sex. My dad was a beautician, so he was around. I'm sorry, that's what they called it back then. They called it a stylist now. But my dad was a stylist, had one of the nicest shops in town. Actually, ended up having about three shops in town. Amazing businessman. You know, when it came down to it, you know, I used to make the joke. People would say, my daddy, whoop your daddy. I'd be like, my daddy, tease your daddy's hair. <laughs> My dad was fierce, you know. He was, he's, he's still fierce. 75 years old, I'm still afraid of him. No. But he made such a commitment when it came to dealing with the opposite sex because that was not going to take his family down. He lost his mom and dad to it because Papa ran around, you know. I'm glad my Papa got saved when he was up in his 70s. Thank God for that. But man, my dad, those things that defeated him, my papa, my dad made a decision. No, it's not going to happen on my, on my time. And so each of us, our lives declare to the enemy that our forefather's struggle is defeated if we want that to be in our case, amen? And so who are our kids? Who are our kids? These, these arrows that we're launching, you know? I want to tell you just a little bit who they are. They are the head and they're not the tail, Amen. These are children that are above and they're not beneath. Amen. They're the righteousness of God. And I want to speak to millennials. I am so tired, myself included, of speaking negatively about my millennials. We as a, a group of whatever we are, Xers, I think they call us boomers, you know, some builders in the house, you know. We, every millennial, please, if you are in my group, Xers, boomers, and, and builders, raise your hand. Can you see these hands? We look to you and we, we repent. Y'all a mess. We know it. But we were a mess too. Amen? And I believe that you don't have to be those things that are marking millennials and, and boomers are exploiting and Xers are exploiting. No, no. You can be who God's calling you to be. Not who we are, but who God is calling you to be. Now, I believe that means get out your mom and daddy's house at some point. Okay, I do believe that with all my heart, Grant Allen Wiseman. All right. He's 16 now. I'm just sowing seed, just sowing that in there. So, when he, you know, but no, I feel, I, feel, I feel that we as a church, not momentum at large, we are going to reject and push aside a generation with our jokes and our jests. Amen? No, these are arrows that we can get a hold of and mentor. Shout mentor and love and develop and point in the right direction. And when they make mistakes, preach hard at them, but let them know that you love them with all your heart and you're going to help them fix those mistakes. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's, that's, that, that's what we're talking about. Amen? And the reason why is because the kids, man, the enemy is coming after those kids. The enemy is coming after our millennials. Can I throw out some statistics today? Can I do that? Internet pornography. Man, when you were six, seven, eight, nine years old, wasn't even a thing that it was existing, you know? But they say now that USA Today said the average age of someone who sees pornography for the first time in America is now six 
years old. I told you about my little girl last week, Arden, and her little potty mouth dropping the F-bomb. What in the world? It's out there. It's, everything's out there. Everything is out there. No, no, let me say it this way. It's not everything's out there. Everything's in there. It's in your house. It's on your computer. It's on your phones. It's, it's everywhere. Another thing that our kids are struggling with, eating disorders. Eating disorders. There is more access to food than any other time in known history. But there is more volunteer starvation than any more time in any time in history. People who are choosing to withhold from food. Over 8 million in USA, in the USA, are either bulimic or anorexic. 8 million people. 90% of those are women from the age of 12 to 25. Why? Because there's an unhealthy standard of beauty. And if I can turn my body at the, I don't know if I can do it. But if I can turn my, do I look thinner? Shut up. If I can turn my, see, you know I'm delivered from this. I don't care. Come on, some. No. If I can turn my body a certain way, okay, and I can get up on my, my, my feet a certain way, and I, I think pump my butt maybe, I, I don't know what all you do, you know. This isn't comfortable, you know. But if I can do all that a certain way and look like that IG, that Instagram person, then, then I can be acceptable, loved. I can be, oh, you're beautiful too. Man, but if I can just get to lose a little bit more weight, I just got to just a little bit more. And it's plaguing our country. It's plaguing our children, you know. Can I just tell you, young ladies, guys too, but especially young ladies, you are beautiful. You are made in the image of God. Amen? You are made in his image. Man, just, just, man, be healthy. I'm not saying don't be healthy. Be healthy. But just realize who you are in Jesus. The enemy just wants to obscure that and send you down a horrible path. Can we talk about STDs this morning? I got quiet up in here. <laughs> Well, sure, Pastor, if you're the one, if you're the one talking about it. <laughs> 40 years ago, doctors were trained to treat about two venereal diseases. That was about it, about two venereal diseases. Now, the average doctor has to be trained to treat about 25 different STDs, all right? Three to four million, please don't miss this, y'all. Three to four million teenagers contract a new STD every year. That means 10,000 of our kids and young adults are catching an STD every single day. Here's a statistic that will mess you up. One in five Americans over the age of 12 test positive for an STD. Let that sit on you a little bit. That's whew. This is why God says, here's my plan when it comes to sex. Keep yourself for that one. Get married first. Experience the gift that God has given you. And all the days of your marriage, experience that within the confines and the blessing of your marital bed. Amen? That's God's plan. And there'll be people that'll hear that plan and say, well, you know what? God just doesn't want us to have any fun. No, God just doesn't want you to have genital herpes. <laughs> Truth. Lord. Not sure how to go from there. 
But I'm just, just speaking truth in love. Amen? Amen? And listen, as I speak this, there's going to be people in the room that feel convicted and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed. Man, before we finish, you're going to understand everything. The blood of Jesus covers it all. Amen? What I'm saying is, those of us in the room, knowing ahead of time, can we please act like children of God? Can we please aim ourselves toward the target? Can we please allow the enemy to stop stealing from us because we won't put the target seeking God first above everything else in our lives? That's all I'm saying, amen? That's all I'm getting at. Whew. Speak of another thing that challenges our culture and our children, the pain of divorce. There's nothing more painful for a child, psychologists and counselors will say, than the pain of divorce. Now, here's the thing. We at Momentum Church, we love divorced people. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm serious. I want to applaud you if you're here. Amen? You know that. This isn't to put any condemnation on you. We love divorced people. But if you're here and you're married, please, with everything that you have, fight, 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 fight the enemy at the gate. And sometimes the enemy looks a whole lot like the person that's in the mirror looking back at you. Now, some of you in the room will say, man, I did fight. I get that. It takes, it takes only one to leave a marriage. It takes two to stay in. I get that. And I don't want any extra conviction to be upon you. But I've seen too many Christian couples stop fighting for each other. Amen? Amen. And it's a big, big, big target on the hearts of our children. And we need to address that. Amen? And so hang in there and fight through it. Get counseling. Do whatever you have to do. You know? Another thing that our children are facing at a rate like just has never been before in history is suicide. Four young people every hour in the United States are committing suicide. It's the second leading cause of death between 15 and 34-year-olds. They, they, they say that, that another 50 to 100 in that same period of time will attempt suicide, just not successfully, but they will attempt it. Man, we live in difficult times, and our kids are feeling that burden upon them. I mean, like never before, facing wars and terrorism and, and school shootings and church and synagogue shootings and... I mean, that weighs on your brain. Our young people are becoming fatalistic because good night, that's what the world looks like. It's just a painful, painful reality. And we are raising our children in this world, and we are called to do everything we can to keep our children safe, okay? And keeping them safe is not engaging them in the fight, not teaching them how to fight and protecting everything. No, I'll get to that. But we are called to be, everybody say, watchmen. Yeah, yeah. A pastor I love is Jensen Franklin, and, and Jensen said this. He said, the greatest danger to our homes isn't what the government allows or what Hollywood is doing, but it is what we allow in our homes. Psalm 127 is teaching us that we're watchmen, and there's two jobs of every watchman. The first job of a watchman is to warn when danger is coming. So you're on the wall, you got your eyes out there, and you're looking for stuff that might hurt the family, might hurt the kids. You're not... You're not placating. You're not going, hey, it'll be all right. No, no, no. You're looking and you're strategizing on what you're going to do to fix that, bring strength to that, touch that, kill that if it needs killed and so on. That's the first thing. The second thing is you're inspecting these things at the gate before you let them in. Amen? And, and there's a, a delicate balance to that. I've taught a few weeks ago when we were talking about our kids maturing and getting older. There's things you got to let in a little bit and have them learn how to deal with it under your roof. 
or you leave them stunted when they leave and they don't know how to deal with sin. And the first big, big time they get an opportunity for some great beer pong, you know, man, they're, 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 they're a mess. What's sad is a lot of these ones aren't just a mess. They're alcohol poisoned or they're hitting their head or something crazy is happening, you know? So yeah, in your home, there's things that you've got to realize. I've got to help my kid learn how to fight some things on their own. You, you know the subject of lawnmower parenting. You know helicopter parenting, right? You're always watching out. Lawnmowing parent, lawnmower parenting is when you don't, you don't let them mow anything down on their own. You just always fight for them, always deal with them. I'll call the teacher. I'll fix this. I'll fix that. No, don't be a lawnmower. You've got to teach your kid to have fight too. Amen? Yeah. All right? But we are watchmen. But here's what's beautiful. We do not watch alone. Amen? The Lord is on overwatch. The Lord has your six. He's got your back. He's got you. Everybody say covered. covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In light of those statistics, we can almost feel burdened beyond ability. But we have a promise in Jesus as our watchman. And if God is guarding the house, then we can deal with the enemies at the gate. And I want to encourage you to do something as we move into this latter part of this sermon. I want you to embrace this truth. If we're going to be effective watchmen, we've got to be people that, that will paint our house red. I want to challenge you to paint your house red, you know, because the family of God, the enemy's at the gate. He's always wanting to get in. He's always wanting to come through the door and do his business and destroy what God's trying to do with God's family. He started that with Adam and Eve. God had a plan. Eden, man, just beyond that door there. Eden, beautiful, powerful, wonderful. And God had this plan, and Adam and Eve, they let the enemy of their hearts come in and bring destruction, and they lost it all. And to cover their sins, again, say cover, there was a death of an animal that had to take place to cover their sins. They were naked and undone, an animal was killed, and a covering or an atonement took place to cover their sins. It wasn't just Adam and Eve. As time progresses, the children of Israel, the same way the Israelites struggled at times to not be rebellious, to not fight against God's plan and God's will. And the children of God, through the rebellion, once again were put into bondage, and this time it was to the nation of, I of Egypt. And God, just like you, he wanted to protect them in their homes. He wanted to lead them to a better life than they were experiencing, than that oppressive bondage of, of Egypt. And so he had a plan to set them free and to bring them back to the land of promise. Let's open our Bibles to Exodus 12, 1 through 7. This plan we start to see is a picture, it's a type and a shadow of the substitutionary work of Jesus. Jesus, like that animal that was slain in the Garden of Eden that covered the sins of Adam and Eve, there had to be bloodshed because I've never ever seen an animal that was killed without the shedding of blood, amen? Sin was of such that it had to be covered and sin had to be covered by the death of something else. That's how serious sin is. It's a picture that sin will cause destruction. And so in order to allow us to embrace the, the thought of that, that sin will cause destruction, to cover sin, destruction has to take place. Something has to lose its life to cover that sin. It should have been Adam and Eve, but God in his love, he allowed this animal to cover them. And it begins the substitutionary work that we see all throughout the scriptures when you would have lambs killed and eventually you would have Jesus, the lamb of God, slaughtered on a cross on Calvary's hill and it covers our sins once and for all. The thing that's heavy is the innocent lamb had to die so that the guilty could go free. 
It's always that way. It's the same way with Jesus. He dies so that myself, who is guilty, can go free. In Exodus 12, verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt in that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now watch this. The nation, there's so much bondage in Egypt. God is ready to bring his people out of Egypt. Okay, so think of Egypt as a place of bondage. A place, where, a place where sin abides, it dwells, it's embraced, that's Egypt. And now God's going to remove them from there. He has come and he has tried time and time again to harden the heart of Pharaoh, to harden the heart of Pharaoh, to get Pharaoh to make a change. Plague after plague has taken place. Nine different plagues have happened. And each of those plagues are a slap in the face of the gods of Egypt. Don't have time to teach into that too much right now. But just the idea that every time a god of Egypt was used in a plague, and it showed that Jehovah, our God, was ruling and reigning over that lie, over that enemy, every time that would happen, the heart of Pharaoh would get harder and harder and harder. He wouldn't change. He wouldn't let the people go. Finally, by the end, it says that God hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. All these actions that God's trying to change him. And so we come to this point where in verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This house, just like this here, on the night before Passover, the idea would be they would put blood on the post of the door. On both sides of the gate, both sides, I'm going to say this, the gate, on both sides of the gate, they would put blood. Daddy would do this. We'll read a little bit more here in a second. He would do it with a lamb that actually would spend some time there in the house with the family. Because sacrifice costs something dearly. It'll affect you personally. Amen. The little lamb would be slaughtered and the blood would be put upon the lintel and upon the side post of that door. Let's look in verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Who is your watchman? The Lord. You see this? There's a watchman watching out over every single Israelite's house. If they covered the house with the blood of that substitution, the blood of that lamb, if they covered that house, the watchman would stand guard. If they didn't cover that house, you'll see what happens. It says, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons. It's about heritage, guys. And when you come to the land, the Lord will give you as he promised, you will keep this service and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt, and when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. It's a correct response when you think about the blood of Jesus. The correct response is you bow and you worship. In other words, the response of Jesus shed blood in my life causes me to humble myself before him and worship him. Amen? 
But so often as Christ's followers, we look at the blood of Jesus and we discount it. We look at the blood of Jesus and we do everything but humble and worship. Amen? Why? Because it's just in our nature. I get that. We're humans. It was the same way with the, with the Israelites. It was the same way. And here's the reason why. There's some Egypt in all of us. Amen? Yeah, there is. There's some Egypt in all of us that fights humbling ourselves before the word of God, that fights humbling ourselves before what God is trying to do in our lives, that, that thinks that we have it better. If we think that we have a better decision than God, then guess who we are worshiping? Ourselves. Welcome to the American church, everybody. Welcome to the American church. The response to the blood of Jesus should be that we humble ourselves and we worship. Everybody just go like this, humble and worship. Humble and worship, yeah. I, I would tell you right now, if there's, you're sitting there looking at that screen about ready to look at pornography, just sit there and go, oh God, I got to humble myself and I need to worship. I got to humble myself and I need to worship. About ready to pull out that credit card and you know it's maxed out almost to the limit. God, I got to humble myself and I need to worship. I need to, you know, about to make a booty call. Come on, somebody. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to worship. Amen. People laughing, but it's true. There's people have booty call on Friday night. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you right now. And just speaking prophetically. Okay. <laughs> the reason why I know that is because everyone is myself included. There's Egypt in all of us. The problem with that is we see that Egypt in us, when that Egypt was dealt with, the firstborn in every house died. The heritage was lost. Lives matter, and lives were put at stake, and lives died, and it would have been no different for the Israelite. Had the Israelite not applied the blood, the Israelite's firstborn son would have died just as well. When we align ourselves with Egypt, our heritage will be lost. Do you hear that? When we align ourselves with the world, we lose what God is promising to us. If we seek first the kingdom, everything is added to us. When we align ourselves with Egypt, everything is taken away. That blood over the doorpost, man, that blood stands like a watchman at the gate. And when you think of the gate, I want you to think of three things as Christ followers. Because every one of us has three gates in our life. We have the eye gate, we have the ear gate, and we have the mouth gate. What are you letting in your eyes? What are you letting in your ears? And what are you letting yourself speak? We as Christ followers got to be responsible for those things, amen? Those are the gates. Lord, when you apply the blood of Jesus on my thinking, on my eyes, on my hearing... Am I speaking? Because as I speak, I think. Or as I think, I speak, rather. You know? When your children say to you, it says this in that last part, what do you mean by this service? This is a, that, that you're to tell them that that's how the Lord worked this out. And the Lord would pass over that, that death angel, if you will, would pass over. And that the Egyptians' houses, those children would, be, would, would, would have death, but, the, but your kids would be spared, and you're to bring worship Upon them. Now, here's the thing, or worship too to God. Here's the thing. It wasn't too long after the Passover that they began to forget about it because that's how we are as humans, myself included. And it wasn't too long. By Numbers 11:5, you start to hear these Israelites saying, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlics. Yeah, it didn't cost you anything because you were slaves. That was the refuse. Of the Egyptians. It didn't cost you anything, so you thought it just cost you your freedom. That's all. Just your freedom. 
And here, they're trying to, to, to want back what Egypt had. Egypt had nothing. But as Christ followers, we do that. What God wants to birth next in our life, we throw it away for immediate satisfaction. There's a heritage that's going to come forth, not just your physical children, but their spiritual sons and daughters that God wants to birth from you. Things that he's trying to create in the world. Amen? But we throw it away for immediate satisfaction. Man. To not care if we are aiming at the target or not. If that's the case, we are missing the mark. And it will not cost you nothing. It will cost you everything. Now, that's really actually the Greek word for sin means to miss the mark. That's what it means. And so we start to miss the mark. We just adjust our sights. That's all I'm saying today. If I'm preaching, you start to feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Just adjust your sight. Man, through repentance, God, I give you my, my worship and I give you my, my humility to your word. And I'm adjusting my sight so I can hit the target. Can I tell you the same God that took the lives of those boys in Egypt? That's the same God that we serve. That's heavy, isn't it? Yet, we scoff about our sin and we fail to blush about our misdeeds. All the while, the heritage of God's house is dying. And sin almost becomes something we laugh about. We scoff and think it's funny. You need to be broken again. A broken and contrite spirit God doesn't reject. Does the actually the opposite. I mean, he fills. He comes and he touches us in a powerful way. I'm praying this morning God will mess us up and, and start to bless us up through this. Amen? <sighs> Sorry. I read an article this week about a church in Canada that said there's not one mention of God during the 70-minute service of Toronto's West Hill United Church where 100 people gather. Bibles are nowhere to be seen. The large steel cross, one of the few remaining religious symbols in the church, is hidden behind a cascade of rainbow streamers. But that's perhaps to be expected in a church led by an avowed atheist. But that's it on you. Greta Vosper is the pastor of the West Hill United Church. After an off-the-cuff deconstruction of God in a service about 15 years ago, what followed was years of Vosper and her congregation retooling the service at West Hill. References to God and Jesus became talk of love and compassion, and prayer was replaced with community sharing. That's special. The removal of the Lord's Prayer in 2008 proved to be a critical test, sending attendance plunging from 120 people to 40. Thank God 80 people had enough sense to leave. And leaving the church, just the financial strength, it left it in tatters. The Lord's Prayer was the last thing in the service that still held them to previous generations of church, said this pastor. So it became the lightning rod for all of that loss. No, no, miss, you were the lightning rod for all of that loss. And no, no, I shouldn't even say that. The devil was the lightning rod for all of that loss. Amen? Greta is quoted as saying, I do not believe in a theistic supernatural being called God. Well, Greta, honey, I do not believe in an atheist who denies God's word being called a pastor. Amen? Amen? Amen. What in the world? Now, let me say this again. We love atheists at Momentum Church. Amen? We do. We have atheists that serve at Momentum Church. Man, we understand the idea of kicking your tires on faith. We get it. We love you, you know? We, but we're not going to let you pastor the church. 
Now, there's days I'm mad at God, but I still believe there's a God to be mad at. You know what I mean? <laughs> Woo. But we do. We love atheists. Man, some of my closest friends are, are atheists or agnostics, and they're making their way toward Jesus. You can't play around a, a crick too long without getting wet at some point. Amen? But let me just say this. Greta needs something called repentance. And I just want to say this as we continue to do baptism here in a second. I would call every one of us to repentance. Do you know why? Craig Rochelle, a great pastor that I really admire, he calls it practical atheism. The way we go about not humbling and not worshiping, what that really means, the way we go about our relationship with a God that we profess actually looks very much like practical atheism. And I want to challenge us that the blood that was applied to this door, do you see where it's applied? It's applied on the outside. It's not, I will hide my faith. You will never know I'm a believer. You'll never know I'm a believer by the decisions I make when it comes to drinking. You'll never know I'm a believer by the decisions I make when it comes to sex. You'll never know I'm a believer by the decisions I make when it comes to my, my giving and my stewardship. You'll never know I'm a believer by the decisions I'm going to put the blood of Jesus on the inside of my door. It's for me. It's my faith. No, actually, it's his. And you're lucky he died to bring us all into it. Amen? That blood is applied where? Everybody say the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very visible. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all, you know? Oh, that's heavy. And we as the American church, we need to get that. We need to get that. I want to be visibly marked by the blood of Jesus. So I'm going to say it this way. We're going to go into baptism. Some of you today need a baptism into repentance. You know? Maybe, maybe you need to come to faith in Jesus for the very first time. Man, today's a great day to do that. All you have to just say is, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. I repent of my sins. Let one of us know that you've done that, man. We'll help you take those next steps in your faith. But you know what? Those that are in here, I don't think my heart is so burdened for those that are lost as I'm burdened for those who say they're found, but they have no repentance. That's where my burden is today. So when it comes down to it, the baptism of John's baptism was one of repentance, and they came to have their sins washed away. Now, I know Jesus' baptism is one where we align ourselves to his teaching and his truths. But we're going to go into baptism. There's a few people being baptized, but I really feel there's some folk here today. You want to leave here with a sense that you've been cleansed, and we never offer baptism this way. It's, it's to get saved, and then you get baptized. But I feel there's some folk that need to go home wet today. You just need to be able to say, I gotta repent of everything in my life and I leave it in those waters and I will paint my house red, amen? Obviously, when it comes to Jesus, his baptism is one of salvation. You can't get saved apart from Jesus. And so that's a powerful thing. And there may be people here today, you didn't come ready. We have so many towels over here. We will baptize you. We brought tons of towels. There's plastic bags to go home with. You go home wet in obedience, better than dry in disobedience. Another type of baptism in 1 Corinthians 10.2. This is kind of neat. Did you know that the Bible talks about different baptisms? Yeah, yeah. Because all baptism really means is to follow in the teachings of or to follow the leadership of. And it speaks of the baptism of Moses. And what that was, those people who followed him across the Red Sea, they likened it to a baptism. Why? Because it was a people who were deciding to leave Egypt behind. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's some people in here today, you just want to say, man, I'm getting in those waters because I want to make a public declaration. I'm leaving 
Egypt behind. I'm done. And here's what's exciting. When they left Egypt behind, they got themselves across the Red Sea. The Red Sea came upon and crushed their enemies. There's some people that need some victory today. And this baptismal tank just might be the place where God meets you and brings the victory that you so desperately hunger and desire. Amen? Their enemy was destroyed in the waters. It just might be today that God uses this supernatural moment to destroy some enemies in your life. And then I want to go back to this because I know this is heavy. The only thing that releases the heaviness is repentance. Do what God's telling you to do in your heart today. But parents, listen. The heaviness is parents. Our adversaries are many as we seek to live toward the target. But God has given us victory in Jesus. He is the overwatchman. Yes, we're watchmen, but we watch in vain if the Lord doesn't watch the house. And I'm telling you right now, you go through those doors. You apply that blood to your life. Jesus, I will humble myself and I will worship you. In my decisions, I will humble myself and I will worship you. You will be elevated over my decisions. You will be elevated over my desires. If you will do that, he will be that watchman to your house. We can be thankful because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. A good woman that is honored is in Proverbs 31. It gives the virtues of a, of a, a virtuous woman. And the passage says this in verse 21. This woman, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. Do you know why? She's not afraid of the cold that's coming. She's not afraid of the destruction that winter can bring. She's, she's not afraid. The reason why is for all her household are clothed in scarlet. Ooh. Man, all her household. That word clothed, it's kind of like the same idea as covered. Her whole household is moving forward under the anointing of God, under the covering of the atonement of Jesus. And so right now, we're going to begin to sing. We'll do baptism here in a second. But I want us to move forward and to follow after what God has for us in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet as we worship. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Fuel for the Journey. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.